season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Sammy Cat was recorded on August 24th, 2023. Great. Thank you so very much um, for the invitation. Thank you for the welcome. My name is Sammy Cat, and I'm a very grateful recovering adult child worthy of unconditional love, not just for today, but for all the days of our lives. Um, Oh, I, I heard, uh, Renee, thank you again so much for, for inviting me. This is definitely a really, really important day for me to be doing this. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you kind of gave the format of like, um, you know, you know what it was like to grow up in, in the dysfunction, what led us here and how we, and how we're, we're applying it, um, today. Um, so to kind of, kind of like follow that in, in, a, in a possibly roundabout sort of a way. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly how old I am, but I will say that my mid-20s happened, I'm sorry, my early 20s happened in the mid-90s. So you do the math. Um, I've always been um, gender non-conforming. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have the vocabulary for it. If you would have asked me when I was growing, if you would have asked me prior to maybe two and a half years ago, I would have just said I was a very loudly gay kid. Um, now I have a different understanding of gender expression and identity, and that's really not nothing to do with, with, with the rest of the story, except for that it made me be the target of a lot of aggression in and out of my house. I grew up with parents who were former hippies who, I mean, who kind of like, what is, what is the word that I want to say? Who conformed to like 80s yuppiedom. In a, for a financial gain. Um, so like they stopped using drugs, but they didn't have any kind of a program. Like up until about up until about maybe 12 or 13, they were heavy pot smokers, heavy pill users, um, drinkers. Um, and then they had to stop because my dad started getting drug tested at work and they didn't have no kind of a program. And while it had always been very violent, um, that just ramped up. Like when I hit like age 13, like about eighth grade. Let me tell you something. Going through puberty and your parents going through withdrawals, especially loudly gay, no fun. Especially not growing up in rural southeast Louisiana, um, about half an hour away from New Orleans, which is where I live now. Um, Yeah, so it was really hard. It was, um, you know, I think I think the term bullying gets gets thrown around a lot today, and I was definitely bullied, and it wasn't, oh, people called me slurs in school. I mean, that happened. It wasn't, ju- it never stopped at just being called slurs. It was always violence. At school, it was kind of like an undercurrent, and it would happen, like, just right outside of, like, the teacher's eye. Sometimes it happened in front of their face and I would still get blamed for it and nothing would happen unless unless I struck back. If I struck back, then there was a fucking problem. Then I got in trouble. 
which was the same thing that would go on at home. Like my dad was super violent with me. And when I would hit back or when I would even like do anything like to try to get away from it, it would just ramp up his anger and it would just get worse. So people talk fight or flight, well, I freeze. Like it's option three for me, it's freeze. When it gets violent or when it when it gets really out of hook, really out of pocket for me, I freeze. I don't know. I, I I don't know what else to do because, again, like growing up, any any resistance to to it just made it be worse. Um, I lost count of the number of times I had to go to an emergency room that was not anywhere near where I lived. And my dad would like pick up my school yearbook and like pick a kid's name and I would have to like go by that name in the ER three towns over because this is before there were computers that would link, link one system, right? Um, I can maybe remember those kids' names. Like I remember I was Jeff Mullins. I remember that I was Brady Picard. I remember, I remember all these names, but it was like so fucking ridiculous because my dad would remember, wouldn't always remember the name that, that, that he had picked for me. Like the, like literally this like he would never leave me alone in the in the hospital room or in the ER. But when the when the staff would be like, oh, Mr. Pr Mr. Mullins, Mr. Picard, Mr. Robichaux, it would it would like literally take him a minute to like understand they were talking to him. Um I have two, I had, had um, two younger siblings, two sisters. Um, another part of the story is that like, my dad is not my biological father. My mother, depending on who, on like how loaded she is when she tells the fucking story, um, she was dating a married man, didn't know that he was married got pregnant to get him to marry her. And then he was like, oh girl, I'm already married. You have to go to town. Um, so she, she left town and she gave birth to me on the West Coast and she moved back to Southeast Louisiana when I was about three days old. Um, so he's the only dad that I've ever known. When I was about four months old, my mother went to a fair. Um, And she was, and she was obviously I'm four months old, so she's holding me in her arms, and he's on LSD, and he sees her and me like with this beam all over us or whatever, and like all these lights coming off of us and like sparkles or whatever. Um, so he fed her some LSD, and eight months later they got married, and he adopted me. Um, so my sisters are technically my half siblings, but I would never in a million years, I have never in a million years thought of them that way. Um, woo, um, so because of all of this, you know, plus all the bullshit at school that I'm not even going to get into, I'm literally not going to get into like, like what happened to me in and around school or with like my peers um but you can guess that i like I, I was very high achieving in high school um 
I <clears throat> went to college. It was a disaster the first year. Um, my parents found out that I was gay, or rather they went into my bedroom and found my journal and found out I'd been having sex with um, one of my, <laughs> like this guy who used to, one of my bullies from school actually. And I had been like, he was the first person I ever hooked up with. And they, they read about it in my journal and, um, And I came home one day when I was like 19 and they said, you can't stay here anymore. I don't care where you go, but you can't stay here. And they took my house keys. Um, so I lived in a car for a while. Um, and like concurrent with all this stuff is me like, finding out, finding booze and, and drugs and all this other stuff that was going on, like I said, like in the, in like the mid nineties. So if you remember the mid nineties and you were alive in the mid nineties, well, you were really living in the mid nineties then girl. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, but if you will remember, like that's kind of like when the rave is happening and it's designer drugs and it's hallucinogens and it's ecstasy and it's ketamine, and when I hit the, when I got that ketamine stuff, I was like, girl, this stuff is the answer. Like, it's a disassociative tranquilizer. Like, I can literally leave my body and I don't have to think about it. None of this, great, sign me up, girl. Um, I became very impulsive, I took a lot of risks. Um, and when I say a lot of risks, I mean, I literally drove back and forth from New Orleans to, to Mexico more times than I can count to purchase large amounts of ketamine. And never did I even once even think I could ever have gotten caught. I never did, uh, which is wild to me to say that. Um, but yeah, so that went on for about 10 years. And then around age 28, um, I was like, yeah, girl, all this, all this club kid existence, all of this is not it. Um, so I decided to go to school. I was really good at school. Um, I was really good at college. I excelled and i became addicted to, to the success right like it was no longer ketamine and marijuana it was 4.0s and um and dean's list and scholarships and all of this um after i got three college degrees um and went out into the real world and no longer had that framework for success things started to go really poorly for me like um like I, like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, how to deal with the fact that I didn't have that same framework for success. Cause in school, I really did the bare minimum and I was, and I was always winning awards and it was always fabulous. Um, but like in the job market, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sending out, I don't know, at least 10 to 15 resumes per day with cover letters and nothing like hearing nothing. That was very hard for me to take. Um, what little work I could find in my field was not enough money. Color me surprised. I ended up selling drugs again, like I was doing back in my early twenties. Um, and like the the cutesy way that I put it is, I'll say that I'll, I'll say that I turned forty and I and I stayed up four and a half years past my bedtime. It was a lot less cute than that in reality. Um, 
but yeah, being on the sales side of it, it's very ugly and um, crazy dangerous. I never thought I would get in trouble um, and until I did. And even then I didn't care because I was, I was really on this path. I was on this very like lazy path to suicide. Um, I had started having ideations when I was maybe eight or nine. And I don't ever remember not thinking somewhere in the back of my mind that I was going to take my own life. Like I never in a million, when people would ask me questions like, where do you see yourself in five years? Bitch, I don't know dead. Like that's literally what I thought. But I was like, either somebody's going to bash me to death. My dad's finally going to like snap and he's going to kill me or I'm going to take my own life. And that was it. And that was all. Those were my three options. Um, So on December the 18th of 2018, after I got thrown out of like my third apartment in less than 10 months, um, and this was not my apartment, this was like somebody else's place that I was staying at. I ran out of drugs to sell them and they threw me out in the middle of the night and I was about to kill myself. I was literally kind of standing behind this bus shelter, like, and I was trying to line up. I was like, the way the bus stop was set up was like one of these little shelters and there was a, a traffic light right there and I was hiding behind the bus shelter. I was trying to line up with the traffic light so I could throw myself underneath the next oncoming vehicle that I thought was going fast enough. Um, and as HP would have it, I got a phone call on Facebook Messenger of all, all platforms from somebody that I used to party with. And they were like, girl, are you okay? You're on my mind right now. No. no, I'm not okay at all. Um, so they were like, well, what are you doing? And I told them what I was up to. And they were like, girl, look, sit down at the bus stop. I'm going to come and get you. We're going to get you into a mental hospital. And from there, you're going to go into a rehab. And then we'll see what happens from that. And, you know, that was step one for me. And step one was super easy for me. Like, I obviously was unmanageable and powerless. Like that was real obvious to me. So I was like, you know what, girl, three college degrees later, I don't have the fucking right answers anymore, girl. So I'm, I'm okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. It was seven days before Christmas and I didn't really want to live to it. Um, so I spent Christmas in a mental ward, which was literally the best Christmas I had ever had in my life because I was safe. I wasn't, I wasn't being put into competition with my sisters. I wasn't having to medicate myself to death over, you know, whatever disappointment or devastation or evilness uh, my parents had been up to with me. Like it was absolutely great. Um, I spent, I was, so I was there for about 10 days. I spent um, New Year's in a rehab facility in North um, West, uh, Northeast Louisiana, sorry. Um, about five minutes from the state line with Arkansas. If you've, if you've ever been to North, Northeast Louisiana, I'm terribly sorry. Um, but I got what I needed out of it. Um, I got out of rehab. I went to a sober living home. I went to Oxford House, in fact. Um, and you know, I followed the suggestions. I did the 12-step things. I got a sponsor. I did, you know... I, I did the 12 step things overall, right? Um, 
AA was 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 the big 12-step fellowship there. And I jumped into it both feet, even though I never in, the, in a million years would have called myself an alcoholic. But kind of working working step one made me really see that like when I would drink, I would drink like a fucking alcoholic. Like I didn't like when when I would tell people like I don't know when I, when it, I, it never occurred to me that drinking six drinks in one sitting was binge drinking. I just thought that was Tuesday. Like I was like, oh okay, what do you mean? Like don't doesn't everybody like drop like when like when I have cocktails at lunch. Surprise, I ended up dropping like $40 on cocktails and like $8 on lunch. Surprise. Like, it did not occur to me. This is alcoholic behavior. Isn't that funny? Possibly because, again, this is what I grew up with. Like, my mom is a falling down fucking drunk. Um, but yeah, so, so I did those things. I, I remained sober. I stayed sober. Um, I, you know, I was really not doing great in Monroe, which is the name of the city where I was living up there in Northeast Louisiana. I was having a hard time finding work. Um, I was very much, it was very much a, a city girl in the country and they were not ready for a, a city girl. They weren't ready for me. Like, I mean, nobody was outwardly like terrible to me, but it was, it was all right underneath the surface of it. Um, you know, people's phobias and bigotry were like on display at all times. And eventually I moved back down here to New Orleans into another, into another option house, in fact. Um, like I moved back down here, like kind of right before the, 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 um, the quarantine started. Like I moved back here, um, I think at the beginning of November of 19. And the pin, the quarantine starts in like I think March of 2020. So I'm living in Oxford House. Uh, my parents decide to like. Meanwhile, my sisters and I have have remained very. My sisters and I, we've kind of gone through periods where we were more or less close, right? Like um, growing up, we weren't allowed to be close. If I played with my sisters, um, like a lot of times we ended up playing with their Barbie dolls. My dad would like tell me that I was a pervert. Um, like that would happen a lot. Um, my dad caught me doing my sisters, like doing cross stitch with my sisters one time and he broke my fingers. Um, so we weren't really allowed to be siblings in that way. As adults, we became siblings, which was a really kind of fucking wild thing to be doing, right? Um, my parents, somewhere along the way like after after the three of us moved away like i was like i was the only one of the three of us who stayed anywhere near where we grew up like i like i said i'm 30 minutes away from where i grew up um my sister sarah married a man who was in the navy and they traveled the world they were in japan they were in wichita falls they were in norfolk um virginia um my other sister moved around quite a lot as well she now lives in um frederick maryland at, you know, by the time that the pandemic starts, um, Diana's in Maryland, Sarah's been living in Austin for probably about 10 years, maybe a little bit more than that at that point. Um, my parents decide that they're going to move away. My sister, Sarah, has lost her job and she's been, they don't have Medicaid expansion where she lives. And so and she was having a, she couldn't find a, another job. She was having a lot of mental 
stuff going on to where she when the she did find a couple of jobs um and she wasn't able to hang on to them because of her mental state because she wasn't able to like be normal long enough to get back on 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 to get insurance and to get get her medic get her medication settled and she had a uh, she suffered with a lot of mental things she was also um an addict she stopped doing drugs and just switched over to food and and that was a big thing for her she was whatever the next thing after is after morbidly obese that's like kind of where her bmi was um so her insurance goes away her mental she can't she can't get psych meds she can't get um her medication for her for her diabetes um and she starts spiraling really really hard um in june of 2020 my parents decide that they're gonna that they're gonna move away um from southeast they're gonna they're gonna sell their house and they're gonna they're gonna move to this cabin that they bought um in colorado because that's because now that they've retired they can smoke weed and that's what they want to do is with their time is live live on a mountain and smoke weed um so my parents have hoarded their house up really badly they get my sisters to come down and they get me to go over with them to help them to help them i don't know why the fuck hoarders are like this um so like help them and p.s you didn't want help um uh, that helped them pack their stuff lies lies um they're, oh you can take anything that you want i'm like girl i live in a sober living house like i i have one bedroom like i don't have storage for i don't know these trinkets from actually some of these like chipped coffee cups from from a thrift store that you purchased when in my childhood i don't care um of course, my parents were super high when we got there, um, so I really couldn't. I really couldn't like fuck with them. I was like, mm. I was like, you know, and Sarah went in there really wanting to help them out, and no, um, because they didn't. Really, they didn't really want the help that they that they claimed they wanted. They wanted us to sit there and like interact with them around these items, um, and I was like, yeah, girl, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. No. Throw it away. <laughs> you know, like you bought it from a thrift store, it was already somebody else's trash. Throw it away, girl. I don't care. Um I did not tell them all this, but I was like, you know what, girl, I just I can't be around you when you're high. Um so that was the last time that the three of us were together. Um none of us were none too impressed with our parents' shenanigans. And we recognized them for what they were, right? Um, so after the visit ends, Diana goes back to Maryland, Sarah goes back to Austin. And that was the last time I saw Sarah, that's the last time that, that, I, that I spoke to Sarah in person. The last time either one of us did, actually. Um, Around mid, maybe maybe early August of 2020, Sarah um, Sarah had a really profound case of pancreatitis that was triggered by um, her having very high triglycerides, which I had a similar experience like earlier that year. 
So to give you like some point of reference, like your triglycerides are supposed to be around 150. When I went to the hospital, my shit was like 800. And I was in severe pain to where I was bombing, right? And it was awful. La, 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 la. So when Sarah went to the hospital with her pancreatitis, her triglycerides were 8,000. The doctors did everything that they could. Um, she did not respond to any of the treatments. She did not respond. Her pancreas was necrotizing. Her pancreas basically died. Um, this went on for several weeks. Maybe, I'm, I'm saying several weeks. It felt like several weeks. Probably more like a little bit more than 10 days. And the doctors got myself and my sister and my parents and our brother-in-law all on a conference call. And they were like, look, girl, this is fucking serious. Like, like, and it was basically that question. Like, like what, like how to get up of measures do you want us to take if something comes up? Um, my parents are dithering, my, my brother-in-law is dithering. This is something Sarah and I verbally talked about when we were like fucking 10. Like I already knew the answer to this question. Diana knew the answer to this question. Um, and we got off the phone, we got off the conference call and it was still kind of an unresolved thing. And the next, the next morning, um, our brother-in-law said in the group text that we had going on that um, things have taken a turn for the worse. Sarah has had a cardiac event. And she was not breathing for about 10 minutes. That was Friday. I dropped everything that I was doing with my job and I, and uh, you know, and higher power made a fucking way. That's all I can tell you. Higher power made a way. A friend of mine who had a, a, a bazillion Southwest um, airline points was like, girl, I have enough points that I can get you to Austin and back a dozen times. Just book, tell me what the flight information is and let me know and I'll book it for you. Um, so she did that. Another friend of mine was like, girl, I have a bunch of like hotel points. Where did you let me know where you want to stay? Uh, we found like like a room at a, at a La Quinta Inn. Like literally, if the airport is here and the hospital is here, this La Quinta was slap dab in the middle of it. Um, and like to me, that was all there was to it. I mean, I won't. I'm not gonna say that HP like talked to me. It wasn't a voice saying. Girl, go be with your sister. But it fucking might as well have been. I mean, like it literally might as well have been. That's what it felt like to me. I did not hear words, but I knew in my heart of hearts that if I didn't, I would never be able to live with myself. Um, so before I got on the plane um, on Saturday, I talked to my mother. Well, I talked to both my parents and my dad's like, well, what are you going to do there? Are you going to cause some scene with, with the doctors? Like, what are you going to do? What good do you think this is going to do? And I was like, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I don't know what to say to you. My mother gets on the phone and she says, well, look, if you don't want to come, I'm coming. 
I'm just, I, she's like, look, I don't like flying, so I'm going to drive. It's about a 14-hour drive. I'm, I'm going to be there. Okay, girl, I'll see you in Austin. Um, so I arrived Saturday afternoon. My sister Diana arrived Sunday morning. Uh, we talked to the folks at the hospital, and they were like, like they wouldn't out and out tell us. Yeah, she's not going to wake up, but they were like, she's very sick and she's not responding to any treatments. And, you know, she's on hemodialysis or something like that. It's like, like it's like everything's shutting down is, is it was, was, was what I read between the lines. So Sunday evening, it started to get kind of late and I'm thinking, oh, let me call my mother up and see, do I need to get her a room at this hotel? Does she have her accommodations? Like what's, like, what's, what, what's the fucking plan? And I get on the phone with her, and I never actually got to ask her this question because as I'm talking to her, she starts telling me how beautiful the sky is and how she can see her mother's face in the clouds. And I'm like, well, well, well. do you mean that you're still in Colorado? Well, yeah, you know, I looked at that picture that, that your brother-in-law had sent to us in the group text, which was a picture of Sarah with a tube in her mouth and like her eyes are closed. Like it was, it was a picture from the hospital. It's like, and I just can't see her like that. But you know, I've been, I've been, I spent the day today painting rocks that I got out of my creek. Um, I've been painting them purple because that was Sarah's favorite color. And I was like, that wasn't even Sarah's favorite color. That was Diana's favorite color. Sarah's favorite color was fucking teal. Let me get off this phone right now. Because at that point, there's nothing I have to say to her no more. And it's nothing is going to come out of my mouth. It's going to be anything recovery related. Um... I might also mention my baby sister, Diana. I think at that time she was about nine years clean and sober. Um, and like, I like, so I was a little bit more than one year into it. I was about maybe a year and maybe eight months at that point. Um, and the next day, um, we were in separate beds and the, I heard the phone ring and I turned over and I looked over and Diana's on the phone and she's like, okay, we're on the way. And the rest of that day is burned into my fucking mind like, like I just can't even believe. Like every minute detail of it is etched into my memory. From me running out from from me running out of bath gel in the shower to the sushi that we ate at the hospital to the name of the nurse to the name of the lady from hospice to the name of the uh, of, of this other carer who came in and talked to us. Um, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like I'm so ruined by like TV. Um, like when you see people in like in like these kind of scenarios on TV and in like you know. It's quiet. There's a little bleep monitor. You know, the person's got a tube in their mouth. 
but you don't know that they're actually going to be like spastically breathing. And I'm not saying spastically like it, it, like as a, as a pejorative. I'm saying like very like mechanical, like <gasps> like to the rhythm of, of of the of the pump, to the rhythm of the machine. And I didn't know that her eyes were going to be open. I didn't know that they were going to be like tearing, tearing. I didn't know that her sclera, like the whites of her eyes, were going to be fucking yellow. And Diana and I spent pretty much the whole day there, um, each one of us holding a hand. Um, as the people at the hospital kind of did their due diligence with us, and we had to sign the fucking papers, and we had to, we had to just discontinue care. Like we had to make that decision, which is not something in a million years I thought that we were ever going to have to do. I might also mention that my brother-in-law, whenever this happened on the Friday, his psychiatrist immediately mandated that he go in inpatient into a psychiatric facility. So he wasn't there. It was just the three of us. Um, and we, um, we brushed her hair. We prayed, we told her stories, we sang songs to her. And at 420, and she would have loved that part. She would have loved that it was at 420. Um, at 420, they um, they had us, we didn't step all the way out of the room, but we kind of stepped behind like the curtain and they pulled it and because they were still a few like tubes that they needed to take out. And they were like, this is probably not going to be anything. This is probably not how you're going to want to remember her. I'm very grateful that they did it that way. Um, and it was wild because she was still kind of warm from the hemodialysis, like her hands were still kind of warm to the touch, but there was no, she wasn't there. There was no nothing. There was no reflexes. There was nothing. Um, so they got our brother-in-law on like an iPad, like on FaceTime or whatever, and He had all of our, he, like, he went through all the things that Diana and I had gone through, like that set of emotions very quickly, like, like the whole, like, denial, anger, bargaining, la, 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 you know, and, and like screaming and la, 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 all this thing. Um, and at the time I was very uncharitable about it. And I was like, well, bitch, if you would have been here. Um, and today I don't have to be like that about it today. I can understand that. Like today I have compassion. For, for, for the fact that he was like, that he probably was not really thinking this was going to go down like this. Um, and Sarah kept breathing, like, kind of um, mechanically. And the breaths just got further and further apart. Um until there was no more. 
my sister and I um, had to take a fucking cab because my phone died. Um, and my sister put, you know, informed everybody of all this on the, in, in our group text. Not all of it. She, she was just like, you know, this happened at 420 or whatever. Um, and she'd been keeping everybody kind of up to date on this group text. And like, this is when my mother decides to call. This is when our mother decides to be like, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, you know, but, you know, you must really hate me now. And it's just like, girl, it's not even about that. I just wanted you to fucking be here. And once again, you fucking were not. Um, and after that, my memory, my memory starts to just kind of go. Like the next few days are kind of a blur. Um, and the reason why I told you all this story is that that was August 24th, 2020. So it was three years ago today. Um, oh, I was so pissed off at my parents. I was so fucking angry at them and I was rageful with them. And I, I, I could not fathom, I could not fathom why they were still a fucking lie and she was gone. And I was really angry about that. Um, I chanted for them to die. I did fucking voodoo rituals. All kinds of things that I'm really not going to get into. But having said all that, you know, throughout all this nonsense, there was never a time where, like, getting high or getting drunk or acting out sexually or overeating or doing any of those, like, whoa, like, addictive things was on the fucking table. Like, it was just not on the table. Like, it was just not something I was going to be doing. No. Like, it just, no. Absolutely not. Um, I feel like if we, if I would have done something like that, it would have been so disrespectful to Sarah's memory. And disrespectful to myself. That I just couldn't fathom it. But I was not finding a way out of it with substance abuse 12 steps. Like, I was cut red-lined. And I couldn't, and I... And I wasn't trying to get high, and I wasn't trying to da 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 da, da whatever, whatever the other behaviors are over it. Um, so that's August 24th is when that starts, and November the 13th is our dad's birthday. And on that date, my parents were still alive, and I was like, well, fuck, girl, I guess I have to heal up from this. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, you know, the shit you were doing, girl, is not the answer, so what's the answer? And the answer was ACA. The solution was to become my own loving parent. Um, so that's what brought me to ACA. That's that's the specific set of, of, of incidents. You know, I, I tried to I tried like conventional like talk therapy and grief therapy and stuff like that. And like I don't know, the therapists that I dealt with were so like mega focused on like relapse prevention that I didn't feel like they were listening to me. Five minutes. That's five. Thank you. Ah, um. And so in the last, you know, two years and 10 months or so, you know, I found ACA on November the 13th and I never knew what the fuck relief was until I found ACA. No other 12-step program did it, does, it, does what this program does for me. Today, I do not have to be angry. Today, I do not have to like hold this grudge with my parents. 
today I can look at it and be like, they're just sick, fucked up people who didn't get what they needed when they were growing up. And so, of course, they couldn't give us what we needed. This does not mean, oh, two skips around the maypole, I'm going to fuck with you again. I don't talk to my parents. They are, I've gone to no contact, and it's literally the best decision I've ever made. Like, I do not deal with them. They are not safe. And that's fine. Like, I don't have to hate them. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you and tell you that, like, oh, you know, I've forgiven them, and, and my life is perfect. Bro, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that fucking place. And if not, that's fine, too. But the place where I am today is that I no longer believe that they would have loved me if I was perfect. I no longer believe that they would look, they would have loved me if I was straight. I no longer believe that there was anything that Diana or Sarah or I could have done to make them have healthy human love for us because they don't know what the fuck that it is. They've never seen it. They've never had it. And they probably never will. Um, I'm going to read to you the, the, um, the lyrics to the song that I sang to her. Um, it's by this band called Poe and the song is called Fly Away. It makes sense that it should happen this way. That the sky should break and the earth should shake as if to say, sure, it all matters but in such an unimportant way, as if to say, fly away. Sweet bird of prey, fly, fly away. Nothing can stand in your way. Sweet bird, if you knew the words, I know you'd say fly, fly away. It makes sense that it should hurt in this way, that my heart should break, my hands, should shake as if to say, sure, it don't matter except in the most important way. As if to say, fly away. Sweet bird of prey, fly, fly away. I won't stand in your way, sweet bird, if you knew the word. I know that you'd say fly, fly away. It makes sense that it should feel this way, that you slowly fade and yet still remain, as if to say, everything matters in such an invisible way, as if to say, it's okay. Thank you very much for letting me share.